and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on the show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. This podcast is sponsored by Syncback Pro, the professional photographer's tool to keep your images safe. How safe are your photographs? Or to put it this way, how would you feel if you permanently lost some or even all of them? The fact is, there are very real risks in storing your digital images on a hard drive, even if they're backed up to an external device. There's ransomware, hardware failure, file corruption, virus infection, and even accidental deletion or destruction. Syncback Pro makes this problem go away permanently. Syncback Pro is the professional photographer's tool to back up photographs, images, documents, and data files. Once set up, it keeps your files safe, quietly and reliably in the background. So if problems occur or disaster strikes, you'll have nothing to worry about. Your photographs will be safe. Which is why it's also the backup solution that I use myself for my own photographs. Take advantage of an exclusive 25% discount today by going to www.backup.sg. The software will never expire, meaning your photographs are safe forever. That's www.backup.sg. Give your photographs the protection they deserve. And now, on with the show. Warren Keelan is a seascape and ocean photographer living on the south coast of New South Wales, Australia. He spends most of his days alongside or within the ocean, interpreting what he sees through the medium of digital photography. Warren has always had a fascination with nature, especially the ocean and its ever-changing forms, and feels compelled to capture and share what he feels are special and unique moments in the sea. He loves the raw, unpredictable nature of water in motion and the way sunlight brings it all to life from both above and below the surface. For Warren, the challenge is creating an image that hopefully tells a story or leaves an impression on the viewer. We discuss where his passion for the ocean began, how he got his gallery up and running, and where he sees his photography growing in the future, along with loads more. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Warren. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Great, Grant. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. It's nice to finally catch up with you. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Good to catch up with you too. Why don't we start with who you are and why you do what you do? Cool. Warren Keelan's my name. <laughs> I'm an ocean photographer based out of Wollongong on the New South Wales South Coast. I've been shooting now in the water for about 13 years. I turned my passion into my dream job around 2013 when I opened my first gallery. And I've been self-employed and working just to create ocean images and art ever since and uh, yeah have a a lot of his lot of stories and uh, yeah it's, i'm really motivated and i'm really passionate about what i do fantastic fantastic so let's talk about the motivation what is it that gets you going what gets you in the water was it being in the water first that kicked off the passion for trying to capture it or yep. was it i've seen this and i really want to get into it how did that work for you I think it was a childhood thing. I was born on the east coast of Australia here. And mm. when I was five, we moved to WA and my parents, my, my father became a national park ranger, situated right on the coast and far from any towns. We grew up in, the, in, in that environment with the bush and the coast and just gained a natural appreciation for what that meant. And didn't realize it until I come back when I was 15 from the west back to the east and started surfing with a few friends, fishing and surfing and 
diving, those kind of things, because I still live on the coast. And just the smell of the salt and the waves and surfing, the experience I've had in the ocean, that really is my drive just to be in the water. I feel yeah. more, I feel more confident and natural in the water than I do okay. on land. And to be able to take a camera into the water and create images from what I see and feel, that's what motivates me. Yeah, cool. Okay. So what's your earliest photographic memory? Where did it all sort of start? Where did you get your first camera and how did you start with making the images? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've read a lot and I've listened to a lot of podcasts and where the photographers say this is, I was handed a camera when I was a kid. I vaguely remember having, I think it might've been a Hanamex brand or oh, something yeah. back in the day, really. The wide rolls, 110 thing rolls, I think yeah. they were, and click. And I didn't really think of it at the time. So then fast forward into my late 20s, I got my first SLR. Mm -hmm. I was shooting film for a while and I was doing some slow shutter stuff with waterfalls and I just didn't really find it for me that challenging. I was yeah. like growing up in the ocean and being in that, that different environments, more of an extreme environment. Then the invent of water housings for cameras meant I could merge the two. And I really wanted to create landscapes from within the ocean. That was yeah. the first thing I wanted to do. But prior to that, I actually was a, a fishing photojournalist. Okay. Yeah. So I went from, went from making images and traveling and doing the travel and lifestyle photography. Then I, during that time I was doing landscapes and once I bought my first water housing, it just changed everything. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Do you think it's important to have goals and projects in your photography? Do you set yourself goals? And if so, how? <laughs> my wife's pretty much the goal setter. She's okay. very good at time management. So she does set her yearly and five-year goals and monthly goals, but I'm pretty terrible yeah. in that. I live in the moment more so than looking at what I'd like to create 12 months down the track. Mm -hmm. um, I found that a lot of the images that I create have just come from being in the water. A lot of them I do think about before going out there, but because that yeah. environment's so often changing and evolving, you're left with those elements. So I can say, I want a photo of, I want to do a series or on this particular wave or break or technique and method, but you can go there countless times and it's always not in your favor. But when, since I've been in the shop, I've had, I've been selling printed artworks now for over a decade and yeah. I do find that when I do have a concept I'll just stick it in the background and I kind of work on it yeah and not say not give it an end I don't want to launch it or just want to do I just when I'm ready I'll say I feel comfortable with the with what I've made yeah. and I'll put together something and, and eventually release it that way so um, no I'm a fly by the seat of my pants yeah. every day I get up and my mind's a mess anyway yeah no to answer your question no probably not <laughs> you did mention think, having some kind of concept about what it is. What? How does that sort of take shape? Is it something that you're thinking around that you've not done before or something, you know, that you've seen elsewhere and you just want to get into? But how do the concepts come to you? This, just being in the ocean, 360 degrees is something to shoot. and You can turn your back on the sun and you can yep. lower your shutter speed and you've got something else to create. The waves are always moving, so you do have a moving subject. Point the camera at the sun and up goes the shutter speed and your aperture and you just make something completely different every time. If yeah. you, and if you take that environment and you, and you place that on the hundreds of headlands and points and beaches along the coast here, there's always something new to create, but every time I'm in the water, I'll always keep 
my wits about me. I'm always looking around and seeing what angles and perspectives are yeah. changing, but it's, then it comes down to what lens I'm using. So my favorite lens is the 70 to 200. Yeah. Um, I really love that sort of the distance and the compression and the clarity of those, of that lens, but under the water, that doesn't work as well. So if I go to a wide angle under the water, I'm always looking at what I can do. If it's early morning, I can slow the shutter down and just try to find different perspectives. Everything's been shot before, as far as I'm concerned, every angle and everything, but there's got to be a unique take on it somewhere. So that's the challenge, I think, every day. I guess talking about the process there, how do you go about selecting a lens before you go out? Because obviously out in the water, are you free swimming? Are you on a board? 99% of the time, I'm just with flippers in a wetsuit and my camera's either just tethered to my arm with a strap. And that's what I do. I just swim out and just swim around the ocean. Here's an example for you. So this morning I was up on sunrise and the waves were only about half a metre to a metre. So not quite large, but they were really clean in the ocean. The sky was really nice. So what I would do is then use that that low light and crank my shutter speed down to about a 13th or 10th and just stand up in the shallows and play with the waves as they're moving past me and get that sort of painterly effect. But if I was to use another lens today, it wouldn't have worked. And then once the sun's up, the sun reaches above you, it lights up the sea floor. And if the water's clear, then I'll switch it up. I might put a fisheye lens or 16 to 35, for example. That gives me another sort of playground to work with if the conditions are right. So just in one day, there's probably three or four different lenses and techniques you could use. It times that by every day and it's confusing because you just, if you want to go to a certain waterfall, you've got to wait for that light. And with everything's right, you're still in that sort of that, you're standing around in the same rocks and things like that. But in the ocean, it's just continually changing. That's the challenge. I think that's what inspires me. Yeah, cool, cool. I guess for me, it's it's a little bit different to what I do. I'm doing seascapes, but I'm usually standing on a rock shelf somewhere or on a beach. Yes, and yeah. I've got my gear in a backpack that I can, it's a sling, and I can swing it around to the front and I can change lenses like that. Awesome. You've got to kind of climb out of the water, go and find your <laughs> gear and change yeah. lenses and then get back in. Is that really what it's like? I'm fortunate to have a couple of water housings and cameras, which I can yeah, sort of right. switch around if I do. But generally, most of the time, I'm, I'll just pick a lens and I'll use that lens to, to shoot with because it, then it become, you just become overwhelmed. You, yeah, you, yeah. In the water, you've got one lens and make the most of that lens. And that, in, in, in that sense, you get to know that lens pretty well. Like you become quite intimate with the lens and what it can do in its sweet spots. The 70 to 200 is quite heavy to swim around with in the ocean there it's a quite the reprieve to take out say let's say a fisheye 15 mil fisheye yeah you can use it one-handed as opposed to the two-handed thing but mm-hmm. so you there's inherent dangers for you also you're clambering around on the rocks and you've got all these lenses and you just you're changing lenses in the middle of a wave coming towards you and all sorts of things yeah. there's a lot going on hey <laughs> yeah <laughs> keep an eye out for that sort of thing it's you try and make your lens changes between sets yeah yeah that's right. That, that said, some days I don't change. It's just, okay, that's, that's it. Or I might change after I've done, say, a, a wider panoramic shot with a 16 to 35, for example. And then I might go and do some wave shots where you, similar to what you were talking about, where you're getting down into the shallows. I've got a, a monopod leg, which basically comes with me as well. It's part of my tripod. I just, 
unclip the rest of the tripod from it, stick it in the backpack, and away I go with the monopod. Awesome. But so I'm, it, that's where I'll get out the 70 to 200 and uh, try and get in close to some of the waves. So yeah, it's a, it is a bit different, but I'm mostly trying to stay dry. Not that I succeed a lot. Yeah, no, it's, I get you there. And, you know, and with that lens too, you can get right up close and get real de- detailed shots. Absolutely. Um, and water movement, it's just, it's just really calming to look at that painterly yeah. effect with the colours. Yeah. But yeah, some I've seen some of your works and it's uh, you're looking at the foreground right through to the background in that composition. Basically, There's a yeah. lot to take in and then you have to wonder whether the, the light's in the right spot and the waves and everything. So yeah, yeah that's pretty challenging. Yeah, that's oh, good fun. Rewarding too. Yeah. <laughs> I guess talking about the process of experimentation, you talked about trying to find something unique. How do you use that process to you know push the boundaries of your creativity? And how do you, in any experimentation, you're going to have failures how do you deal with that is that just a learning process or i'm interested in that sort of process of taking it through from that concept initially to a finished product going through that process of failing to do it sometimes because not every shot we're going to take is a banger yeah you it's that's 100 percent. you could for me if i'm going to let's say standing on a cliff looking down at a wave break mm-hmm. if i'm shooting at 1250th and higher and i'm just getting i'm documenting that wave as it's going past yep. and there's only so much you can do from the position that you're in at your standpoint so you're looking at it and your, le- your lenses might change but there's if you're shooting fast and you're freezing the wave as it's going through you might get more frames and you might get more keepers yeah but it's just you're just documenting what that part of nature is doing at that specific moment in time slow your shutter speed down and you might get one out of 20 from there and then out of those one out of 20s you might keep one out of a hundred of those one of 20s yeah and that kind of for me that's that is the challenge and to get that that interpretation that impressionistic interpretation of a wave in motion that's the difference and then whilst you're swimming that's a challenge as well because you're also moving as well as the camera's moving so you're panning and you're kicking as well so you're swimming amongst the elements and that's so much more rewarding when you do actually get one standing on the shore is great too and you can do forced pans across the horizon they're really fun to create and i really love them because they come up well in print but then the challenge that for them to for me to go in the water and try and create that's different as well because you're actually using the wave as it's moving past so you're you're not forcing that pan you're actually creating a slower pan with the wave yeah. and it's if it's big enough or it's if sorry if it's small enough you can just sit there whilst the sun rises and you've got that 20 minute window to try and make as many as you can yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah I, I, that's th- then take that concept change lenses put a wide angle on and dive under the wave and look at that wave rolling across the shoreline under the wa- under the water yeah and try and use those same principles You'd be surprised at what you can actually create yeah. and the colors and you really get to know what exposure is and, yeah. and focus under the water and then look at the wave not only breaks in it, the wave might break in short or one way towards the shore but there's so many different angles that you can capture that from that all mixes it up plus your, your shutter speed timing and the time of day that you're shooting um, and then you if you behind a wave and you feel at a surfer or a swimmer or a body surfer or something that adds another aspect to it i shot I think I shot about a thousand photos this morning over a two and a half hour period. And I'm just going through them before we're speaking. And oh, there's probably two or three that I like out of them. Yep. And I'm, I might keep one 
<laughs> but the others I'll store because that you know in that moment that's what I was chasing. But down the track, when I revisit those folders, I'll see something that that yeah. might I might connect with at a later stage. Yeah, yeah. And then that going back to your other question is that'll spark another interest. So I'll take something and I'm not focusing on that at the time. But when I revisit those folders, I'll just go, "That's pretty cool. I like how I've got some close-ups of some bubbles or some bokeh." Yeah. How can I go out there and actually make a series using that those elements? Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Awesome. In talking about that style, where did that start to develop for you, that the realisation that, okay, I'm no longer just documenting these shots, it's now art. Where did that sort of start for you? As soon as I... As soon as I was realized that I could change the image that I was making by a few tweaks on the back of the camera, it became a paint with using a brush, the camera, sorry, as a brush, as opposed to a device to document what I'm seeing. And then unfortunately you just go down this, you put this path of everything has to be abstract. You're pushing it to the limits. Yep. By the time you finished, you look at something and it doesn't look like at all what you've, what you were out capturing. Yeah, right. That in itself is pretty cool, but then to try and translate that back to a viewer and as an ocean photographer, I really like the concept of the ocean. I love, like, like being in it, but there are many images that just don't, you know, it's not obvious that's water. Yeah. And that in itself is pretty cool. I really dig that. It makes you, anything that makes you think, if you have to stare, look at an image and it's not apparent in the first few seconds or minutes and it makes you think a little bit deeper about what you're looking at, then that for me is a successful creation. Yeah, okay. I was going to ask what what defines success for you in your photography and you basically just nailed it. <laughs> yeah, oh, there's just Jesus a lot. Everything from receiving emails that you're hoping to receive, making an image that you've conceptualised in your head prior to going out and months and months of failures, yeah, yeah. travelling long distance to a break or a coast piece of coastline or even to go and visit wildlife, whales and turtles and things like that, and coming up with that particular shot, that's yeah. unreal. And, and then there's other times where I'll be in my store and one specific moment was a lady came in and she looked at an image on the wall and it was a monotone wave shot and she just stared at it for a little while and she broke down. It was a lady that just broke down into tears and wow. she, she turned around to me and waved to me and just said, I'll be back. <laughs> but she walked out of the store and came back in and actually explained to me the reason that it affected her. And she, just, she ended up buying the shot off the wall because yep. it moved her. So that in itself is, that's an incredibly powerful feeling to see just from a, something that you've created. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Mastering your craft is obviously a big part of every photographer's sort of journey. How did you go about learning the basics first off and then extending on those basics? Were you talking to other photographers, experimenting and playing around for yourself or using things mm -hmm. like YouTube and just looking at tutorials and going, okay, I'll give that a go? Oh, look, Grant, compared to now, there's a plethora of information out there oh, um, on what to do. And I think that's fantastic. When I first started, especially with ocean photography, there wasn't anything. There was a few people that I really loved their work. I'm a, a sonic artist, so I played guitar in, in progressive rock bands for over a decade. Sure. And I really love the people pushing the limits of the, in that sonic realm. 
But going back to, I draw a lot of inspiration from music in that regard. Mm. But I, when I first started embarrassing, I just took the camera down and my first camera, I had no idea what I was doing. Absolutely no idea. I thought a long exposure was something. I had no idea what aperture was. And yep. I just, it was, I was trying to show my wife that I, it was worth investing in the <laughs> camera gear <laughs> yeah. and uh, it was just complete failures. But there were probably two, let's call them forums or blogs. Yep. online where I used to visit just to understand aperture and a little bit about slow shutter photography, yeah. what ISO meant. And then one day after, I don't know, it might've been about six months, the concept of the exposure triangle just, it just made sense. Yeah, right. And so I got to the stage where I could look outside and think, I know exactly what I could need to use to shoot what I want to shoot. Yep. And then it went from there to, using those, that exposure triangle to create something. And that was when I was hooked. It was actually, no, I, the camera became a tool then, not just, it didn't rule me. I know what's happening. Yeah. Once you understand light, as you do, it's uh, you, then you use that information and those skills to create and document from there. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Do you see your photography as a useful tool in terms of environmental awareness and getting people to think about the world that we live in, in, in different ways? And obviously the environment's really important to yourself. Is that something that you're trying to convey? Do you try to use that as a means of getting the word out that we've actually got to look after these environments? Firstly, I hope so. I hope my images do have some sort of sway in that regard, just to show people how beautiful the world is and, and, and the environment, especially the ocean. We're all connected by water and yeah. we really need to look after it. Then on top of that, I really do hope that I have a, I'm balancing between my creative side and my pursuit of environmental awareness. So I, I try to use my platform and what I do for that information and bringing awareness of the threats to the environment, but also to balance that again with the beauty of it. So it's not all the bad news all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that came from early years. My father was, as I was saying before, was a national park ranger. My mother was an injured wildlife officer. So the need to care for the environment and its, in, and its inhabitants was foremost for us growing up. And then, yeah, that, that really planted a deep seed of my con how much, how I am consciously thinking about the world I'm living in and my footprint. Yeah. yeah, we can only do so much. We're constantly bombarded with what what's happening in the world. If you looked at if you look at everything on the internet, it's overwhelming. It's depressing. Yeah. So you pick and choose what you can actually do in your daily life and yeah. per year and how much time you can spend and invest on that. Yeah, I, I think it's very important, and I'm happy to. And I'm really it's the word for it. I'm privileged to be able to not only share my work, but if it can somehow make a difference, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Have you been in any situations where you've seen pollution and or injured wildlife or anything like that and you've just gone, uh, this yeah. is really why you've got to get that message out there? Yeah, many occasions. I'm a member of ORCA and we're just volunteers to help injured and endangered sea life mammals and beached mammals so it was quite a f that goes back a long way even through to uh, the, the rubbish that goes down the drain and into the ocean and things like that i as i said before i was a, a fishing journalist so i saw 
the impacts of overfishing, professional fishing, yep. and what that does on the food chain in certain parts of the world. I've seen coral change over the, the Great Barrier Reef, yep. even right down to seeing, I've seen turtles and things with drag nets and things on the beach with gulls and sea life, just they're dead yeah. uh, just from those things. So that, yeah, that really has an impact. But the main one, I think, was a few years ago. We had I was down at the local beach in Wollongong, and we had a, a calf whale washed up on shore. Now, unfortunately, the calf was still alive. And it tried. They tried before, prior to me being there. They tried to push it back out, and it, and it come back in, and it caused more injuries. And we nursed it until it passed, unfortunately. So that I, that was quite an overwhelming and emotional event. And it was literally the next day I become an orca member. So yeah. this, yeah. It's <laughs> those kind of things. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Have, have no. you seen much in your own? Even uh, in the coastlines and things like that, you see the impact of humans and. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately a little bit. I actually carry a, a little nylon fold up bag, folds up to a couple of inches and sticks in the back of my backpack. I was, I was out at, where was it? I was up at Port Stephens on the weekend and found a long where the waves had washed up a bunch of plastic and it looked like a broken up those big bread crates, the big yeah. red one. Yeah. And there was it was just chunks. There were no chunk was bigger than about three or four inches around, but it was just hundreds of these things scattered all over oh, the beach. Wow. So I just basically used the bag, scooped as many of them up as I could find and took them off the beach and got them into a, a bin. But yeah, even putting them in a bin, you can't guarantee that it's not getting back out into the no. water somewhere, unfortunately. That's, and that's what I, I guess it's your, I guess you, you just have to do what you can do. And, exactly. And yeah. if you didn't do that, it would still be there. Yeah, or float off to another beach or foul a, a seagull or somebody, some other sea life. Yes. Yeah. Coming even right into your home is everything you use from plastic straws and things like that. We're becoming more aware of that. And it, I guess it's a push that we as photographers and people that do what we do to play the role in providing an education for others that might not even think about those small things that we can do because um, everything has an impact and even to the point where I'll go for a coffee and take my keep cup and yep. walk along the ocean as you have you just explained with a bag and I'll just take a bag and just fill it with anything I can find along the beach yeah. and just pop it in the bin and it not only for good conscience but knowing that's now off the beach. It's, <laughs> it's beach. not going to get blown into the water. It's not and, where it and shouldn't be. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I take my hat off to anyone that does that. Yeah. I know another thing that you've been a, a strong advocate for is men's mental health. Talk to me a, a bit about what you've been doing in that space. Yeah, for sure. Just through personal. Everyone has their own sort of experience with mental health. Yep. I, and I won't say suffer. I don't like to use the word suffer because that tends to lean towards I can't do anything and it's always bombarding me, but I, I endure anxiety. Yeah. I've had quite high anxiety now for, you know, that I'm aware of now for a decade or two. And that has its impacts daily or weekly or yearly. And I can see how much it impacts me. I try to, I recognize those things and that's what the ocean does for me. It, that's a, it plays an important part in calming me as a human because I just my mind races all the time and I just don't stop yeah. thinking and the only time I really get a break from my head is in the water but also being an advocate for lots of different charities and just not being afraid to 
share those experiences publicly. I think yeah. that it's it helps when I talk about things like that that I go through and hopefully if it makes a difference in someone else's life and they think that it's okay to talk about it, then that's great too. Just in saying that, I was approached a month ago to join a bunch of guys from two mental men's two men's mental health charities to walk the Kokoda Trail in Papua New Guinea. Cool. Not only to do it, but to document it and document the experiences of, let's say, a bunch of average men doing something above average. Yeah. And it was just the most incredible, incredibly difficult, mentally, physically, emotionally challenging thing I've ever done in my life. And I come back and I just, I, I use the term glasses half is now full because yeah. it's, it gave me a lot of perspective and realizing what's actually important, who's important in your life. And it gave me a great sense of clarity. So I've come back now from that, which was a month ago, and we're actually editing a documentary on that. So putting my money where my mouth is and being visual and vocal on that stuff. But no, any day of the week, I'll let you know. I've had a lot of personal experience with that and family, unfortunately, in certain aspects. Yeah. And it's, it's, you can't escape it. It's something you deal with every day. And if you can just get a grip on it and use it. So I, I constantly say this thing, even with musicians, I was in a band playing. Yeah. We're gifted, not inflicted, but we creatives are gifted with this thing called depression and anxiety and self-doubt. Yep. And I don't know one person that creates that hasn't got any of those. those yeah, those I think it's an important aspect to creativity is the self-doubt, the, I, I think, what's the right term for it? I guess the suffering or endurance that you go through are the things that actually help you create because they form feelings and form thoughts that allow you to express yourself in whatever way you choose to do that. Yeah, It's the expression of those things, I think, that actually helps people work through some of their problems too. It's talking to... Andrew Barufi a few weeks ago on the podcast and he has a book out called Heal and it's literally all about how he's documented his experience from suicidal depression through to basically healing himself through photography. And I think that expression and the ability to actually create something beautiful really does help you develop a, a much better mental state longer term. Oh, I agree hundred percent. And it's therapeutic and it's, if you can vocalize it or put something out like that's pretty crazy what that, what he's done yeah. and it would definitely help people. I can assure you that anything that's spoken about that has an impact on, if it just saves one person's life or it curves their thoughts, that's a positive thing, right? That's a really cool thing. I think the discussion of it is really important too. It's something that does get shied away in society quite a lot. And the thing is that on the whole, I'd say most people suffer from some form of mental illness at some point in their life, whether it be anxiety all the way through to depression and indeed self-harm and those sorts of things. If you can talk about it and bring it into the light, it becomes a whole lot less scary. And I think it also becomes the ability for you to share your experience with people that have also had similar experiences and you realise you're not the only person that's going through it or has been through it and you're not the only person. You're not on your own, basically, which is where a lot of that mindset, I think, comes from. 
That's right. And talking to people and being open and you create an environment where others can talk, you get to understand yourself a lot more and, and you become confident. And, but you're also allowing yourself or giving yourself permission to be vulnerable in front of others. And that in turn gives them permission and, and it just has a positive effect all around. Whether it's a diagnosed illness or if it's something that you just think you're feeling and you're having bad times and you're going to get through it. But yeah. it's at the end of the day, it's you just have to talk. And us buggers, us men, we just really, we're really crap at it. We yeah, just don't, we don't let those doors open enough. And you really do. It's just something that's built in and eventually finds its way out, whether it's talking or through self-harm and alcohol abuse and things like that. Yeah. It'll bubble to the surface eventually. Yeah. Um, but by talking, you can keep it subdued, you know, that the harmful effects of mental health and you can carry on. You can get through another day. Totally. Let's talk about something slightly <laughs> more uplifting. Where did you make the choice to set up your own gallery? How did that come about? Did you just wake up one day and say, I want a gallery and off you go? <laughs> or... <laughs> Pretty much. I was, I finished being uh, as a touring musician in the 2000s, early 2000s. During that time, I was also building websites of self-taught web designer. Yep. So I had a bit of income coming through in various forms that was self-employed forms. I haven't worked for a company or a business for a long time. Oh. And then I was taking photos and on the side, I was doing some market stalls and a few exhibitions. Yep. And I found that it was, I was actually, there was a bit of interest there and I was selling a few prints. After the opening, you start your Facebook page and Instagram, when that first came out, I was lucky to be part of that start, the startup of that. Yeah. Yeah. So been on there quite a few years now. What is it? 13, 14, 15 years Instagram's been like that, yeah. going and that's an unusual beast as well. But it was probably in 2012, I really took it seriously and to the point where I think that's, I knew what, that's what I wanted to do. I've had a lot of different hats and I, and I, some of them I'm wearing at the same time, but this particular with photography, I really, I felt I connected through that, that form of creativity. I really love writing songs and playing live. And that process for me was really important. And just to be creative, it's the same when I'm building and websites and I was building and I was doing graphic design and I was doing all these other things. But the key thing was just being creative and having an outlet for that. And yeah. that, that became photography. And I, going back to talking about creating an image or having the thought process of an image, I, there was one there where I, when a wave breaks and it breaks towards you underneath, if it's shallow and it's heavy enough and it traps air, the rolling of that forward motion on the wave creates these spiraling rings under the water. Yep. And I've seen them a million times when I was surfing and I never thought anything of it. You just close your eyes and most people close their eyes under a breaking wave. Um, yeah. And I thought this is, I thought, how am I going to take a photo of this? I really wanted to capture that mm. in some way. So it was about six months of bringing that thought out of my mind into the real, into the ocean. And eventually there was one day, and I remember it, it was in 2013, and yep. I was using a fish eye lens. And back the fish eye lens I was using, it's quite an older lens, and it's restricted to three frames a second. Yeah. Yeah, in servo mode, because it it's not motor-driven. Yeah. So quite a slow lens, but incredibly sharp. It's a really sought-after lens. I dived under the wave, and it was sunrise, and the wave broke, and everything happened perfectly. And yep. so when I'm free, three frames a second means that the first one is just to focus. Whatever I get in the next frame is the one. And yeah. the third frame or fourth frame is just whitewash. 
Yeah. And I got up out of the water and I looked at my camera and I just, in disbelief, I thought this is, I let out a yelp. And I was like, yeah, this is crazy. This is the one I've been taking. In my mind, I'm actually yeah, looking at yeah. it what, on the screen. So I entered that into the, it was an underwater category of the International Landscape Photography Awards back in 2013. And I had, I just thought this is really different. I'm not sure how the judges would have looked at it and perceive it, but I received an email once they received the awards came out and I'll never forget one of the things about that rewarding side of photography is getting an email that you thought, no, nah, that's not going to happen or you might, but you're going to go and check it anyway. And I literally, I, I opened the email, showed my wife and I choked up because that was an image and a concept that I'd been thinking about for so long. I was able to put that into an image and yeah. show people and that they, you consider them peers in the, in the world of awards. Yep. So I got that photo and I thought, this is it. This is it. I know what I'm doing now. Um, they gave me the confidence to pursue that full time. And then mm-hmm. I, lo and behold, just 800 meters from my home, just in Wollongong, just literally down the street in the center of town, a little store came up for lease and it was the right price and it was the right size. Right. And I applied, I just applied for it and <laughs> I got the keys within about two weeks. Yeah. So it was, it went from being something that I was really passionate about and I'm just, I was selling a few prints here and there. But uh, yeah, it was within about three or four weeks I was in there and I'd set up, I had a place, I had my own store with, surrounded by my own work. So cool. consider that successful and I, I, that was a dream come true at the time. Yeah, awesome. Talk us through the process of actually setting the gallery up. You've got to get a load of prints. You've got to <laughs> get the place in a condition where you can hang them all. You've got to do a load of stuff what Mm. did that look like and how long did that kind of take you to get through so in terms of interior you don't really have to do that much just paint the walls white i had an electrician come in i did some set up some led some rail lights around the top i put in some benches waist height all the way around and a desk and i had a petition that had a little sink in it and a bits and pieces out the back yeah. And essentially that was it. The space that I'm in is one of four room stores in a part of a building in that street. It's a very old building, almost considered heritage listing. Yeah. So there's not a lot I could do to it physically, but I didn't need to. So I put a nice desk in the center and it's, it hasn't, it's been unchanged for 10 years. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so just some paint and some lights and things like that. Yeah. And then it's the marketing side of it. So let's yeah. go back to what you're asking about prints. How do you decide what goes in there? So yeah. your best work, what you consider the best mediums, whether it's glass or framed or canvas or matted prints, how do you display them? How do you market them? You've got a visit, like a store that you have tangible artworks in. You need to be able to pay rent then and the overheads associated. So you've got a internet phone line and, yep. and rent and electricity and insurances and things that come out with that. So you have to consider that in terms of what you're displaying and what you want to sell. Yeah. yeah. I love the dark abstract images but I don't you know, sell run, that well. they, they don't they sell but they don't sell enough to to pay the rent yeah they're, they're, you, they're a they're, they're a niche market <laughs> that's right yeah and then you have to consider you become a, a tourist destination so you have to consider the people that may be coming to the area that want to take something away that resembles Wollongong where I'm yeah. from or the local surrounds so mm-hmm. I'd have to I'd like to create images that have that artistic something that I created that I like, but also to have something that is going to sell for the area. So you don't want to compromise your integrity, but you also want to consider 
what's how do you get that balance i have a very lovely wife who's a she's a she's a great compass in that respect she nine times out of ten i say no i'm not going to print that and then she'll say oh that's the one that's going to sell so i print it and it sells nine times out of ten she's on the money but then i have that space there where i can have a lot of different sizes and mediums and over the years, you get people that come in and just want to buy a print of Wollongong and then the other one, other people come in and they just want the most abstract art piece they can get. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so then it's, how do you let people know that your shop's there? Because yeah. you can open up, but if no one knows how you, where you are, they're not going to come in and see you. That's right. Um, and yeah, all the free platforms, the social media platforms. One thing I did do, this is back before, let's say, social media, yeah. was to, I always believe that a handshake and a face-to-face means more than an unsolicited email to somebody. Yeah, I, I printed, I believe it was about 1,500 D or flyers and I visited all the post offices on the South Coast here and I paid for to be able to drop those in mail boxes that allowed unsolicited mail. Yeah. And then I took about two weeks of just driving from the North Coast to the South Coast and I visited almost every and, and shop. And I went and introduced myself and told them what I do and and just I just uh, I gave him an invite to pop down to the store. Yeah, nice. And though a lot of people, particularly let's say the older generation, were quite it was refreshing that somebody wanted to come in face to face and say hello. Yeah. And in terms of that, that that really kicked off what I wanted to do, and it was that was my best form of marketing. Yeah, awesome. At the time, yeah. One of the things you talked about there was picking your work, best work. Is it as simple as showing it to the wife and saying, okay, that's the one? <laughs> How do you cull it down? Because they're all your babies. You love this shot. Yes. It's not going to sell because it's too dark or too green or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think... go about that critical, putting a critical eye on those images and saying, yep, yes. How do you make those yes, no decisions? Oh, look, we all do. We all have that We're very critical of our own work. I think you have to give yourself a little bit of, you have to be go easy on yourself at some stage. But most of the time, it's I can go out in the water and shoot for two hours, shoot 2,000 shots and come back. If it's still not good enough, that'll sit in the folder and not get the light. The light yeah, won't yeah. see that. In saying that, you really have to be conscious of not being overcritical because just one slight movement in a wave that most people might not see it, but you are, and you're really conscious of that exact thing, but go back to it weeks later and it's exactly what might strike you in that yeah. moment. Um, yeah, to print it, it's a completely different story because you've got rental space on the walls of your own store and each one takes up a certain amount of space and each one yep. is like real estate. So I'm aware of how abstract and arty I can go yeah. But then that might be only sort of 10% of what I have in the shop. And then yeah. I have a blend of animals and sharks and turtles, which I also love, and also landscapes and seascapes from the local area. But being there long enough, like after a few years, you get to know will and won't sell. Yeah, so yeah. you use that as a guide as well. But yeah, if I'm going to give any set of advice, it would be not to jeopardize your integrity for the sake of making a sale, because what that'll do is it'll force you to go down a path that you will regret. Yeah. You will find that years down the track, you're, you're selling images that aren't of your true self and your, your creative expression. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's just something. And I think that's an important thing when a customer 
starts that relationship with your work, that's what they're looking for in a lot of cases. Sometimes, as you say, it might just be, I need a memento of my holiday in Wollongong. Yeah, that's right. And that's fine. The more arty stuff in particular, the reason that person is investing in that piece of art might not be for future financial gain, but they're investing in that because they see something in that image that expresses something to them and they want to hang on their wall. And that's, I think, really important for your artistic integrity or any artist's integrity to put some of themselves into that work. I agree. You have to be very careful what you do. There, there are a lot of other photographers around the area in every area of the world. As I don't, I have a drone, but I don't publish drone photos. Yeah. Like, because there are drone photographers and they do that's it really right. well. And that's all they, that's all they, that's their genre. Yeah. And that's what they focus on. If they're going to be known for that subject, then that's great. And also to real estate photographers and portrait photographers. I really dabbling in lots of different things, especially the portraiture side in the ocean. But it's the art that you choose to share is what you're going to be known for. So yeah. if I liken it to your favorite band or your favorite musician, you're not seeing that musician do a country version and a and a metal version of everything. Yeah. Because you that's what I follow that specific band for that music. Yeah. It's very confusing when you see artists do different uh, t takes on different genres. So when that applies to any art like photography, yeah, I don't think that spreading yourself too thin is quite could be can, can be quite harmful. Yeah, that, in being, being, being in a niche is sometimes depends on how broad that niche is. But being in a niche is, I think, important. That that said, if you look at my Instagram feed or any of my socials, you'll see a, a wide variety of stuff simply because it's what I'm interested in taking shots of that time. And that's what I'm putting up in terms of what goes onto the website. That's slightly different. Yeah, but for me, I'm looking at, I've looked at yours and you do have a theme there. And it okay. is, <laughs> I see it. And overall theme is the, your version, your vision of the Australian seascapes using abstracts and things like that. So there is a sort of a, an overall common theme, but you will dabble in other things yeah, and do publish yeah. other things that's a healthy thing to do i think oh definitely yeah. it's how i it's definitely how i stay fresh and uh, that's another thing i was going to talk to you about is how do you stay fresh and how do you change it up because getting in the water and taking the same shot of a wave they're not all the same i know because every <laughs> wave's different but that obviously gets to a point where okay i don't really want to do that the water's too cold <laughs> winter and whatever oh great tell you what and do that you know what it's a hard slog because not only you're getting up which you do too you yeah. have to do that but put on a wet wetsuit in the middle of yeah. winter and the only thing you want to be thinking about is how warm it is back home exactly um, yeah. that, but that, that, <laughs> that blanket and pillow is looking pretty good <laughs> exactly and that but then when the sun breaches the horizon and everything you've got everything your camera's in there and the what you don't think about the how cold it is and you don't think about no. your feet hurting and your face is numb you think about that photo that's going to appear on your camera because you put yourself into that environment and for me uh, there's there are less people overall in that genre doing what i'm doing yeah so it makes it it's pretty hard and, and to do it over a decade now is quite significant i've lost a lot of hours sleep and put myself into some pretty dangerous places but it's yeah 
that's the that's what I choose to do, and I find yeah. it, it gives me a buzz, and it's that hit that hit of adrenaline when you see it all come together and you make a photo. That yeah. coffee just seems to taste better afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so how do you, and reinventing yourself is a tough one because you years ago I dabbled in flash photography in the water. Yeah. So you've got the added element of man-made light, which is is good and bad in some aspects. But yep. then when you when I've had a Matty Smith custom dome made, and that means I can do split shots but using a flash. How do you piece all that together? And then when you're traveling, that dome port requires its own Pelican case. Yeah. So logistically, it's a nightmare. I'd yeah. go to Lady Elliot Island up on the Great Barrier Reef, and I lug all this gear up, and I'm just praying that the the weather and everything's perfect yeah. great sunrise lots of turtles around the tides are okay and then when i get out there you realize that you're you're at the mercy of nature but then salt water and electronic gear yep. <laughs> they're not the best of friends cool. and you and it happened to me once I mine I, a couple of times and you have yeah it's, brought it back to life yeah well <laughs> i've drowned two flashes i've had i think i've done four cameras three lenses, thousands of dollars worth of gear. But just to go back to, I'm still in the water, but I'm using a different dome port, which allows me to create a different perspective under and over. Then you add the flash element to it. That's another thing. Then some slow shutter. And then you take that into maybe some fresh water, some in, inland streams and rivers and ponds, and you create those sort of photos from there. And then you can do people, surfers and things so constantly trying to look for different ways to express yourself but using the elements that you're stuck with yeah that is a challenge yeah mm. for sure but yeah it's it's something that i really like because it keeps the mind going and most of the time those ideas come to you as two or three in the morning oh yeah and you yeah. think oh god this is awesome i know that rock's going to be available for me at low tide it's going to be That's swelling it. at the right tide and you're looking at you I used to use this thing called the Photographer's Ephemeris app when it first came out, and it would line yeah. up all the moon and the wind, the, sorry, the sun. And uh, yeah, that was exciting too. Yeah. yeah, there's always new things to do. And I think also too, things change. One of the things that a lot of artists struggle with, particularly those that don't have their own gallery yet, but want to sell prints online, etc. Yeah. how do you price your work? Do you have a formula that you work it out with or is it, Total guesswork. No, I think uh, there's a bit of a blend of what would you prepare, be prepared to pay for a piece of work? Yeah. If you looked at a photo, what would you prepare to part with to do that? I think I would say there's a lot more photographers than there were back in the days with the, the well-known landscape photographers that we know. Yeah. Their work was quite pricey at the time. They were using film. And now the invent of digital photography, everyone can do it. They have access to it. Absolutely. And they have access to printing. And the, and the quality of the gear now makes, means that you can print anything at any size in generally. And there are other artists. So if I, I really like the work of other landscape photographers or portrait photographers or ocean photographers, and I look at their work, yep. this is in the early stages. And I've had a lot of people come in and say, I want to open a website. And I'm more than happy to say, look, just have a look at my prices. And if you think you could align yourself with those sort of prices then go for it if you think you, you could if you if you think your artist has more value also to go for it but you also consider with mine i do have a gallery and i don't want to outprice myself out of the market yeah and also too i don't want to undervalue what i do you've uh, i've done it for so long now i know what sells and what sort of value yeah yeah but there are a lot of photographers if you go to you follow a lot of photographers 
work. The majority of them have websites and the majority of them are selling prints in some form. So you can use that as a, I guess, as a bit of a guide. Yeah. A guide. Yeah, sure. Cool. Obviously, you shoot a lot in your local area. Have you got any favourite locations that don't have to be in your local area and you don't have to tell us your secret ones? Yeah. But have you got any places that just keep drawing you back that you keep going to and I don't mean the ones that you go to for convenience I know I'm talking about the ones that you're either got unfinished business with or you just love it so much that you've got to keep going there yeah great question yes <laughs> uh, and many the coast is littered with headlands like I was saying yeah. and everyone has a unique surf break yeah. there are some that are easier to shoot than others and require a lot more swimming and less swimming so down just down on the south coast I might have six or seven breaks that I'll frequent. And that all depends on the swell and wind direction and what the tide's doing and things like that. And if I could be bothered driving down or that's, yeah. I'm happy to drive 200 Ks, stay the night, shoot a break and then come back up the next day if I know it's going to be good. Yep. But yeah, I'm, I live 600 meters from the beach here. Unfortunately, it makes you lazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it makes me lazy. I just get up and I know the coffee shop's open when I get out of the water. But there's always something to be made down there. And I always try to pursue a newer and better vision of what I've created in the past. But yeah, there's a lot of there's some big waves that break when it's when the swell's huge. And it might only be every five years or so. And yeah. con we'll converge on that as photographers and surfers. And you find that the same guys are all meeting up. And it's great because you get to see them and what they're, what, see what they're doing with their lives yeah, and their yeah. careers. Yeah. yeah, but I noticed it in a lot of landscape places, just for example, the Cathedral Rocks down in Kayama, down yeah. this way is quite a well-known shot now for photographers, landscape photographers. I think, I think I, the first photo I took of the Cathedral Rocks was in about 2010. Yeah. And I might have seen one photographer around at the time. Yeah. And now when you go down there, when the lights yeah, are Milky Ways, it's all over and you've got to be first in the hole and you've got that's to... That's it. It's pretty cool. But that's that's the... That's one thing that I, you have to deal with as a photographer. And if I teach photography as well, I really yeah. like sharing that information. You've, there's a double side to it. You teach people and you show them what you do. They're going to want to go up to the places that you shoot and do what you do. Absolutely. So it's, you're inherently creating a bit more traffic to those particular spots yeah. Yeah. doing so. Yeah. It's a fine line there for sure. Definitely. What's your most memorable photography experience? I probably have could go by a genre. Yeah. <laughs> so creating that image with the vortex rings was a was yeah. Yeah. that was a highlight of my career, and it gave me a lot of confidence. And I kicked away some of the self doubt after that. But then let's go to swimming with humpback whales in Tonga. Nice. Um, swimming in a heat run where one female with sort of fifteen gigantic thirty to forty ton whales are chasing her, yeah. and we're dropped in the middle of it and taking photos as they're like swimming past you. You know, that is really crazy. Just seeing a whale calf come up to you within a few meters and respond to you and you wave. And that, that's amazing. The first time I swam with a turtle and photographed a turtle was incredible. Cage diving for great whites down in Port Lincoln. Yeah, just such a wild experience. Being out in a thunderstorm and hail, they're the ones. Yeah. <laughs> they're just so crazy and they're so good. They're so rewarding. But not really one particular one because there's been so many. Yeah, so many. Yeah, yeah. I'd like. There's a lot of places I'd like to go. As you probably, you've, you were speaking to me before the show was that you're going to a few parts of the world that you haven't been, and yeah. that's exciting. And I hope to 
create something over there. Uh, there are a few places in the world I'd like to go and visit as well and take the gear over and see that the gin clear water of Tahiti or the big waves and shore breaks of Hawaii. And I'd love to go and visit the, the West Coast, swim with whale sharks and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So there's a lot on the bucket list and there's a lot on the to-do list. Awesome. Which is cool. Yeah. <laughs> Always good to have the, a nice long bucket list too. You bet. <laughs> you betcha. Yeah, it just means time and money. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, it. that's exactly it. What about horror stories? Have you had any disasters or near disasters? Just, just when I guess I put myself, I push myself too far into a particular wave or reef break and I've come off second best, got too close and I might've got sucked over and I come up with battered and bruised and a little bit of skin yeah. missing, but that could potentially be quite bad. The gears come off second best, so I flooded housings and damage things like that haven't really i've been just the experience wise it's really it's you've got to be very conscious of what you're doing when you're in the ocean because you're at the mercy of those elements absolutely you know, scaling down a cliff in the dark and your adrenaline's making you feel sick and you've got to jump into the water into dark water is not something that most people find it's not an attractive thing to go oh, to do. Oh, cool. and then swim there for say two hours whilst you're watching a wave break just meters from you and exploding and it's like grenades going off yeah. and then you see fins pop out of the water and it's the fishy smell and seals pop up and all sorts of they're the kind of things that get your heart racing that it's yeah, yeah. i'm still here to talk about it yeah that's it can't it. be it can't be that bad <laughs> <laughs> no i've never in terms of being injured and things like that i've i did take a couple of beatings that put my back out. I've had broken limbs, like bones and things like that over the years. But mainly it's RSI, RSI and things. Yeah. Your body, it takes a toll on you after a while. The water housings that I use, this is, uh, it's a larger water housing, but that's a 70 to 200 in that. Yeah. And yeah. for two hours, I'm swimming around with that. And it that's just a lot of weight to smashes your heart. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But no, I've been quite lucky. Touch wood, I'm touching wood right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, nothing significant happens to me because I'm getting, I'm on the other side of, I'm in the other side of the 40s now. Yeah. yeah, it's just doing it every day, every second day for the past decade or so. It just takes its toll. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And yourself? Oh, I haven't had any real dramas. My wife, we were actually in the Lake District last year was it yeah it was last year and uh, she fell down the side of a hill we we're on a track which was quite narrow only about a foot and a half wide and she was about 10 meters in front of me walking back down the track would finish the shoot up at this waterfall and we we're about a two and a half hour hike from the nearest farm where there would be a, a phone there was no phone reception in the in in the valley at all because there's no towers anywhere and she literally fell off the side of this hill and rolled head over heels and landed in this hollow of a couple of rocks next to a stream wow. luckily she didn't get wet or anything and luckily she thinks she cracked a rib but then there's not much you can do for a cracked rib they basically say breathe lightly and don't laugh i couldn't um, imagine being there and seeing that ptsd about it <laughs> so oh geez i'm glad she's she doesn't fine. remember like, okay. a thing but okay. uh, yeah I, I thought she'd broken a neck or something because of the way that she rolled over and and fell so yeah that that was a bit scary um, but i haven't luckily i've i'm of an age where safety first is <laughs> basically yeah. what i'm about i don't go scaling down cliffs and jumping into dark water <laughs> no there's the, the little person that determines your risk factor 
yeah, yeah. He's that person's a little bit stronger these days. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I've damaged gear and I've dropped things off. Oh yeah, I've, just... I've, I've drowned a couple of cameras, but not. I haven't actually gone in the water. It's been waves. I remember I was standing at Coogee when I killed one. The Ivor Row pool, the one with the concrete sort of blocks. Yes. Uh, around it, I was standing there with my back to the seawall. And this wave came through, hit the back of the seawall, came up and over the back of me and all over the camera and the gear and yeah, killed the, uh, killed the camera. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's not a good feeling, is it? No, it's, uh, a, it's a bit sickening. <laughs> the, the first thing I've, cause I've, it's happened to me a couple of times is and my fault because I'm just rushing. I did not checking yeah. seals and things like that. The first thing I do is ring my wife and say, Hey, is my camera insured? When's the last time? Is it in, is it up to date? Yeah, is the insurance and, and up to Why? Date? What have you done? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in that regard, the, the box of rice doesn't solve that, that for me, no, unfortunately. No, no. My, mine, the box of rice didn't work. So it was down to the, <laughs> down to the shop and paid about six or 700 bucks to get new innards put into it. God, wow. Yeah. <laughs> mine was straight to one of the predominant retail stores down here and just handing over a credit card. Yeah. <laughs> Buy a new one. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I want to talk a little bit about processing before we finish up. Uh, are you straight into it when you? get back out of the water or mm-hmm. leaving them to gestate for a while? A bit of both. Because I do regularly shoot and I use it as a form of exercise yep. too. So some days I go out and I'll take the camera with me because I might make a shot and I'll come back and I'll dump those photos into a drive and I'll put a date on it and the location and I might not touch them. I'll just leave them and they bank up. There are other times where I know I've actually got the shot that I wanted and I'll come back and I'll spend a little bit of time on making the best version of what I saw out of that shot. Yep. But I have so many images, like shooting waves, it's just relentless some mornings and there's only so much you can do, so much time. By the time yeah. I've finished, I'll get up at five, I'll go and I'll go and shoot for two two hours, three hours, I'll come back completely exhausted, have a coffee and a shower, and then I consider going down to the shop and opening up. Sometimes those images just just never get seen. Yeah, I, I can't, I find it difficult to process once I'm at the gallery because there's just too many distractions. The light, the ambient light just doesn't work in the store. Yeah. So I like to process when I'm at home and that will be to music and headphones on and a glass of wine. So yeah, that's, and I'll try to revisit the feelings and emotions I felt at the time, whether it be taking a photo of a whale or a shark or a turtle. But what I find too, Grant, is when I was over in Tonga, it was most apparent there was swimming alongside this, those white and, you, and you're yeah. photographing them and you're seeing these gigantic eyes. They're huge. They're yeah. looking at you and that, it draws so much emotion. So you're, you're just overwhelmed. I remember coming up after photographing my first whale and the guys on the boat are saying, yeah, how was that? And, you, and your goggles are filled with tears. You, yeah. you can't articulate the feelings you're having at the time and you're really lucky to be able to bring a camera along to document what you're seeing. And those feelings, and you're looking back on the back of the camera, it's just incredible. Now come back home and two or three weeks later, you're revisiting those photos. It's really disappointing. You feel underwhelmed because the feelings that were evoked at the time and that relate to the photos you're looking on the back of the camera and that really that, that immense high that you're feeling yeah, yeah. is not there. Yeah. So you have to find it and draw on it somehow. Yeah. And I find that sometimes too, if you look at the images and you go to process them straight away, it just doesn't happen. You just don't, you feel de- depleted of those emotions that were there at the time. So leave them, go back to them and revisit them at a later stage. But there are other times where I'll just, 
see something on the back of the camera and I can't wait to get home and share it because I'm really proud of been tasting that image for a long time. And yeah. uh, when it sees a print, you know, and you turn that, cause that's been my ultimate goal for many years is to turn those thoughts and everything into print. There's nothing more rewarding to me than that's the final destination for an image. Yeah. And I've been incredibly lucky to be able to do that through the shop. Yeah. Um, mm. And yourself, like you, you don't go out and take one shot and you have different no, experiences definitely. once you're out there and the light's constantly changing and everything, the mood's different. And sometimes you'll see, you know, for me, a turtle, a whale, sorry, a whale or a dolphin or things like that. And it just really makes you, this is where I need to be at the time. You really Absolutely. feel like you're in the right yeah. spot. So when you get back, how do you go through the images and you just think? I usually try to get them onto the computer as quickly as I can to, A, back them up because I don't trust them sitting on cards. Awesome. in the camera but I normally give them a quick whiz through I might edit one or two that I think are worth taking a look at sometimes depending on what I've been shooting and how I'm feeling about it when I get back if I'm too tired I might only do one and just leave it at that and sometimes you look at them and go yeah there's nothing that I'm really feeling there so sometimes it'll be a few weeks before I get the feeling back and say all right I want to dive into this one this last weekend up up the coast, I've done probably about six or seven already. I did. A, I took my laptop with me and did a few while I was away during the day while we were relaxing and not doing much else. And then, you know, there's probably another. There's probably about another ten or twelve that I know. I've got these compositions that I took there and i want to get into i just haven't got haven't had the time since i've been back and so they may wait a day they might wait a week <laughs> we'll yeah, see how yeah. we go. <laughs> good stuff and you know what you'll look at them too and you think you know what that could be a better sunrise i'm going to leave That's that it. there yeah. and that same rock i'm going to go back to it and i'm going to oh yeah that there's a set of rocks there in shoal bay <laughs> It's one of the spots that I just keep going back to because every time you go, the tide's slightly different at sunrise. Yep. So you get more exposed rock or less exposed rock. And sometimes it's really cold and I don't feel like wading into the water to get out to where the rocks are. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Are getting some movement on them, for example. So I, it's one spot that I keep going back to, to go and hey, the sunrise wasn't good enough. I want a better one. And you've probably heard this a million times. I'll get up every morning and I'll check outside the window and I'll check the cams and things like that. Yeah, and yeah. I look for that gap in that horizon with the thick yeah, pepper cloud over the top. And if I go back to bed, I generally miss something good. So I try to I stay up and I go down and shoot. And if it's yeah. no good, at least I'm down there. And you've got to be there present at the time. That's something it. my wife always says to me, she always says, there'll be another sunrise tomorrow. That's it. And, and uh, I know <laughs> it rings true, but the FOMO is more is stronger with me. Yeah, it's, it's with hard to avoid. I, particularly when I was working full time, as well as doing photography as a side gig, the number of lovely sunrises I saw while I was on the train going to wow. work instead of being out at the beach. Yeah, I'd rather be, which is why I'm now doing this full time and <laughs> not doing great. Not doing that. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And then and. For an example, so this morning I drove to the beach, put my wetsuit on, loaded the camera in, and uh, I went to test the camera and I forgot something on my camera that plugs into my water housing. Yeah. So do I shoot from shore in my wetsuit, which I couldn't do, or do I drive home 
which was I'm driving away from a sunrise yeah. to get that lead and something I could have checked. It's just, yeah. just in, rushing. And uh, do I drive away? That's what I did. So I got there just in time and back into the water. But it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, that's the constant thing for me. But like getting exercise too, like the, moving around and swimming every day is just a bonus. Being yeah. able to do that and have that and come back and be a lot healthier for it. Yeah. That's another reason I love the ocean. Yeah, awesome. How do you push past creative blocks and overcome those challenging times when the head says don't do it or mm. I don't want to do it or it's warmer in bed and it's too <laughs> cold outside? It's two ways. I will generally naturally allow myself not to push it. I'll yeah. just I'll just give it a break and I'll and I'll leave it might for a week or two weeks before going back out. And I think that also too, if you do that, you're more conscious of yeah, you, yourself and how, your thought process and your feelings and everything because you can push it and then you can if it's forced you can actually dislike the process yeah and it doesn't feel natural and, and the rewards aren't there for it on the other let's flip the coin and the other thing is if you push it you're actually forcing yourself to create something even though it might not be there for you and that i'll do the latter so uh, the regular process of me getting up and getting out into the water every day means that something will occur at some stage in front of my lens yep. and a light will go off. And whether it's, whether it's just a ripple on the water or the color or it's just something or pointing the lens back to shore and, and taking photos of the buildings and the landscapes from the water as the sun's rising, then something else sparks that that creativity and i think okay how can i do this what lenses can i use yeah. so then so that that process of just relentlessly going out into the ocean not necessarily with any sort of idea to make an image sometimes yeah. they come to you whilst you're out there so just intuitively you've got to listen to your, yourself but you've also yeah. got to think if i continually just have a writer's block and i don't push myself then i'm not really pushing the envelope and then once you get past that, you find that you open up different realms and ways to shoot. And, and, and if you're not in that environment and you're stuck at home in bed, then those things will never present yeah, themselves to you. Be there. Yeah, yeah. Correct. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing photographers right now? Good question. That's a really good question because we have AI in the mix now. And I see a lot of posts in the social media world passing photography as AI and they're not necessarily disclosing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Digital photography has its, has its things too. Like when we first started making images, digital photography, you use a digital software to process that image. And then where do you draw the line at what's real and what's not and your interpretation versus art and everything. But I think the AI is going to be something pretty, pretty significant and pretty scary. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but I also feel that people become so accustomed to social media and living behind in that world. Mm. I think it's going to be more precious of people's time and experience to go out and experience the reality. Looking at images on the internet and seeing what people can create is wonderful. And it's, it's still another form of expression, creativity, yep. creatively and artistically. But I don't think anything will actually be going into the wilderness and uh, and doing it and feeling those feelings firsthand yeah totally agree it's something that i think will come around full circle and i think those experiences are going to be more sought after than 
and that's why I really like teaching people photography because it's you're taking them out, you're seeing what they see when they make an image and the elation that you're seeing on people's faces when they actually create something that they've wanted to do for so long. And then you give that, you say, you can do this, go out into the world and create. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's always been a challenge. And I think that social media people are becoming more desensitized to it because the immediacy of the nature of that platform is also, it's going to kill it at the same time. Totally. I used to shoot for print magazines and I'd get a photo and I'd send it in and they say, that's it. That's going to be a cover shot. Two months later, it comes out. And yep. in this day and age, two months is unheard of. Yeah. And print magazine and, and that sort of that medium has suffered significantly to the point where there might only be three or four titles now printing. And it's a lost, people see it as a lost star, but I see it as still an amazing platform because that's what I love to see. Yeah. Five seconds on Instagram as a thumbs scrolling through is not an indication of what you should be looking towards with your art. Yeah. Your time is important and your finances are important. All your gear and your thoughts and your creativity to place something on a small platform that's two inches wide is just doing it yourself an injustice, I think. Um, I think that people, my advice would always be print something, get it printed, translate what you're seeing off a camera onto the print, mm -hmm. hang it in your home. And if you get sick of looking at it or you can do better, then that's an indication of you growing and process, you, you're evolving as an artist. Exactly. So that for me, I think that more and more people are going to be looking at real experiences rather than the AI, AI world. I could be very well wrong, but I genuinely, I'm lucky I come from an era where I traveled uh, to different parts of the States to play a live show in front of people without yeah. poker machines, drinking beers and uh, you're listening to your music and then drive home that night. Yeah. Now, back in the day, you can now record and you can do live shows on the internet and you may not even have to have ever played a live show with an no. instrument. That's have right. a million followers and sell albums. I like the former. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm, the thing is, I think the reaction that you get from somebody that sees something in print and see, see something in the flesh and can talk to you personally as opposed to a three-word comment like, nice shot, mate, whatever it is that you might. I'm not. Please, please followers, don't stop doing that. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, you know what? And I do when I generally see genuinely see something in a photograph i'll make an effort to yeah to make a comment even behind the scenes because it, uh, a few of my peers in the past did that for me and yep. that fueled me into thinking i know it gave me that push and yep. it was a wonderful feeling seeing a comment from your peers Definitely. spotting something like that so for sure yeah what do you think what's a in in the realm of photography what do you think is going to be a challenging thing in the so future the challenges i I hate to say it, but I think the the environment and climate change is going to be one of the biggest challenges if we don't actually, our current government and previous governments don't seem to have the, the bull by the horns enough to actually start turning things around. And so for me, I think the challenge for photographers is A, that advocacy piece up front saying, hey, come on, we need to do something about this. But B, if we don't, and if things don't change, then the environment's going to change. And I can see a fair amount of that sort of disaster journalism, for want of a better term, for that, that photography being a much more prevalent simply because there's so many more disasters out there to cover. And yep. 
for me, that's going to be a significant challenge in the next little while um, until government starts to change what they do. Yeah, we've done, uh, and I see too, and being an ambassador for the ocean in many aspects and different yeah. you know, charities and things that I advocate, we, it's as important now as it is has ever been. Absolutely. And uh, there's, there are a lot of people that say they have their different thoughts and views and perspectives on climate change but i spend a lot of my time in the ocean and around this the coasts as you do mm -hmm. and i've seen change and i'm at an age now where i've actually seen things happen due to our what we've done yeah but there's never is never a bad time to start change and Definitely. i think that we can all do something whether it's put something pick up a piece of trash and put in the bin off, off the beach and collect something from the beach right through to doing everything you can in terms of you know, your entire life your in footprint but, uh, but yeah, it does come, a lot of it does come from the top and the big corporations, but without that pressure and that growing awareness, then nothing will change. Yeah. We're all becoming a bit more conscious, hopefully, of the importance of our future. Yeah. Uh, and we are the guardians of the world that we live in. It's our responsibility yeah. to do what we can to ensure there's a future. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what's the worst that could happen if we put pressure on people to consider the environment and what they're doing in, in terms of plastic and recycling and other things that we can do? What's the worst that can happen if we do look after it and we do swerve and change our ways is a better environment and a better the way that we live. That's not yeah. going to be a detriment in the future, That's regardless right. of your thoughts on it. T totally agree. Totally agree. And then you, know, you look at fishermen, you look at guys that are farmers and whatever that i think in some cases voting against their better interests because the if that environment gets destroyed then you're not going to be able to do farming you're not going to be able to do fishing because maybe the fish you catch will be a bit be more tropical species down here in in sydney but i've gone, gone out in the water there on the weekend in port stephens at the end of april i shouldn't be stepping into water that's 23 degrees it's normally getting down to about maybe 20 would be a warm one <laughs> would you agree that as in your younger years there were definitive seasons oh um, definitely and now we're, i'm finding that They're blurred. we more to have two two seasons that kind of cross over and we're having a lot of really yeah. sh the weather's been quite wild in both of those are overlapping totally yeah. but everything from building to the water's edge and scarping and all the things that go with nature and instead of letting nature do its thing it's just keep encroaching on it and yep. once it's developed it'll we will never undevelop that's exactly it yeah yeah ultimately nature will take it all back you know what that's that's right yeah is the ultimate power right <laughs> yeah that's the thing is the earth itself won't be destroyed it'll be our lives and maybe our entire species that does unfortunately probably a load of other species along with us but the earth itself will take it back and turn it into what it what it can the one thing i always I always say is that we're all and i am i'm a hypocrite so I'm, I'm happy to advocate for a better environment and ways to change the way we create and what we use and how we use yeah. it but i'm also talking to you on a laptop via messaging you through a phone and things like that and i'm mindful of those things I'm yeah. also too, I'm not saying that I'm going to go out and I'm against these kind of fishing because I can go to a restaurant and have some cow, have some meat or you go to you know, have yeah. some fish. So it's just it, the, the balance has to be looked at consciously and Definitely. the smaller things you can do lead to bigger decisions and you become more aware of it. And if you do that and you become more vocal about it, 
without trying to force your views down people's throats, I always do. Actions speak louder than words. So I'd rather go along and pick up rubbish. And if people ask me, what are you doing? And I'll say, we're just going to pick up some rubbish yeah. off the beach. And if that's a humbling thing for me, to, I'd see somebody do that. I want to join them. Yeah. It's, and it's, it means that they're, they're thinking. So that they're going home and they're also conscious of their what they're doing that's it. away from the beach and the ocean. So they're also thinking about their voting decisions and how the time that they invest into charities and organisations that yeah. ha- have that push. So... Yeah, we get in there. There's, you're always going to see some negative visions of nature because yeah. that ha- it has to happen. We have to see those because that's the trigger that shows that we're not doing that we could do better. As yeah, humans. so we're not doing enough. Yeah, we're going to have to finish up fairly soon. Do you have any photographers that you think I should be talking to? I have. I've done a lot of work with. He's a very good friend of mine. I actually have his artwork on my wall. Yeah. A lot of respect for Russell Ord. He's yeah. one of the world's greatest ocean photographers, amazing human father. There's so many sort of people in those in that genre of photography oh. that you'd find interested to talk to. Off the top of my head is Jesus, Matt Burgess and Steen Barnes and yeah. like, the list goes on. I'll message you quite a few after we speak. Fantastic. But they all have different stories and different backgrounds yeah. and their, their outlook on photography is all di- it's different. And I found it fascinating. Dylan Robinson is another guy who does a lot of portraiture and lifestyle imagery and landscapes. Just yeah. Yeah. And I'm really inspired by those. They're also, they happen to be also my friends as well. That, that's, that's quite amazing too. Yeah, thank you. A real privilege to talk, chat to you. Yeah, It's nice to have some time and to be able to share my thoughts. And, and Absolutely. I've got one, one, one last question for you. Please but, do. Sure. Yeah, a lot of the listeners think it's the most important issue that we've got to get to the bottom of with photographers. Yep. Do you like pineapple on pizza? Yes. Pineapple on everything. Burgers, everything. <laughs> Do I like it? I love it. (laughs) Well done. Thank you, Grant. Been a pleasure chatting to you, mate. Thanks for taking the time to spend some time with me today. It's been wonderful getting to know you a little bit better and to actually catch up with you. Where can people find your work? Yeah, my Instagram, Warren Keelan, warrenkeelan.com for my, my online print store. And I have a gallery in Wollongong. That's the usual haunts. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show. Keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. If you're interested in buying prints or photography gear or doing a photo workshop with me, these are now on sale on my website. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon.